So welcome again. Um, if you're new with us, my name is Justin, and I am the lead pastor here, and I'm fighting the first cold of the winter. Aren't we excited about that? But I will tell you, there are two more heaters on now than there were when you got here this morning. So thanks to Jeff Hinkle and John Martini for working on that. Um, and we, those really did help last year, so we're going to continue to pray that it's a warm winter, as all of you are already, and that those continue to work. Orphan Sunday is, uh, has become an annual thing for us. We, we just think that it's that important that when we read the scriptures that God says, when it comes to the fatherless, the widows, and the foreigners among you, these are people that God has a special place in his heart for. And so we join with this organization um, to talk about, to give focus to Orphan Sunday. Now, a couple things I want you to know. Orphan Sunday started actually in a tiny church in Zambia. There was a church that was gathering and saying, we have to do something about the vulnerable children around us. And in this church in Zambia where they had absolutely no money, there were people from the congregation taking off their shoes to give them to kids because they thought it was that important. So it started in 2002. In 2010, the country of Guatemala became the third nation to absorb, observe Orphan Sunday. In 2013, it reached China. In 2014, Ukraine, this is kind of cool, the country of Ukraine made this a national holiday. So Orphan Sunday, you're celebrating with Ukrainians today. Some of you have political issues with that, too bad. Um, in 2017, 80 plus different countries observed Orphan Sunday. That's huge. That's, that's incredible. And so we're going to talk today all about adoption, foster care, mentoring, and really global orphan care. And the reason that we do this, one of our core values here as a church, so our vision as new community has always been to find and follow Jesus beyond Sundays, right? Beyond Sundays. Because we believe that the hour, the hour and 10 minutes, some of you are like hour and a half because when you preach it goes long, that we spend together on Sundays that we can't do what the Bible tells us to do in that brief amount of time, that our faith has to translate to the rest of the week. And so that's who we want to be. And one of our core values of that is that we are greater than I. And you're going to hear in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the fact that there's nothing like the church when the church is being the church. And that's really, in my mind, the church is the most powerful force on the planet when we live and we follow the way that Jesus called us to be. But when it comes to this topic and, and some of these things that really, I believe, demand something of us, that for the church, and this is what I want you to get today, for the church, we don't have to do everything. I want you to understand that. When we start talking uh, about justice, when we start talking about caring for orphans, when we start talking about stepping into issues in our community like addiction and, and children that are at risk, I want you to understand we don't have to do everything. It's easy to walk out of here feeling like the statistics are unbelievable. It's overwhelming. And I want you to know we don't have to do everything. But if you follow Jesus, you have to do something. Like if you follow Jesus, there has to be action behind that faith. And, and I want you to see that we've, we've been kind of going through 1 Corinthians, this book of 1 Corinthians in this series called Wonky. And there's no better chapter than chapter 13. Now, just to survey real quick, how many of you have heard chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians at a wedding? Some of you don't know, maybe you have. Um, you'll recognize it. What I want to say to you is this was not originally a wedding passage. And I'm going to read this briefly to you. We're going to break a couple points out of this. And then I want you to hear some really practical ways that we can actually do something today. So 1 Corinthians 13, here's what it says. Verse 1. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am 
nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I love that he says, I am nothing, I gain nothing. There's nothing if there's not love behind it. And that's the first thing I want you to draw today is this. Your faith, the scriptures are so clear, and this is not me judging you. This is what the Bible says. Your faith is worthless if your love isn't moving. If your love is not bringing you to do something in action in the world around you, then your faith is really kind of this, it's like having a whole bunch of um, Monopoly money at the end of the game and being like, I'm rich. No, like it's worthless because you can't spend it, right? Your faith is worthless if your love isn't moving. Paul says that if you are just walking and you're, you're like the super Christian, but your faith isn't causing you to act in the world around you in ways that change lives and interact and intersect in places where need is happening, then, then you're missing the point. And then he goes on, and we love to describe this at weddings, right? But most of us don't ever live this in our marriage. It's hard. Love is patient. Don't nudge your spouse. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And then he says this. He kind of just rants. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And in the first part of chapter, or verse 8, here's what he says. Love never fails. Everybody say, never fails. It'll warm you up. Say it loud. Love never fails. So let's, let's flip those words and make them opposite. If love never, never fails, then love always triumphs. And I love that promise because I think it's the second point. It's this thing. Love is actually unstoppable. When it comes to the problems in our world, when it comes to the issues in our world, we're going to talk about this today, but love is actually unstoppable. It will always triumph. It will never fail. This is biblical. The the Beatles actually got this right. Love is all you need. (laughs) It is actually unstoppable. Psalm 68, verse 6, God says this, God sets the lonely in families. And I love that. I think that's what the church is about. I think that's the vision of the church God has is that it's a place where lonely people find family. Because if they find family, they find love, and love is unstoppable in their lives. Then he goes on. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Paul's talking about kind of we've had this glimpse of Jesus and someday all this stuff is going to be made clear. And then he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And then he says this, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so the final thing that I want to kind of throw out there today is that love is the answer. And that's about the vaguest statement I've ever made in a sermon, right? Like, what are you talking about? And I want to say that's exactly what I'm talking about. Every problem you see, every issue in our world, every division, every anger point in our world, love, and I would argue Christ-like love is the answer. And I know that sounds so simple, but, but for us as a church, again, we don't have to do everything, but if we know Jesus, we have to do something. So what I simply want to do today, briefly with you, is give you some things you can do, okay? Not some things, 
something. I want to give you something you can do. So here's the deal. You're going to hear several options. You're going to hear several stories. And some of you need to be challenged in really big ways. Some of you need to be challenged in really small ways. But all of us, if we all did something, something would get better. Because if we did it out of love for Christ and not out of guilt because the pastor said so, then something would change. Because love is unstoppable. Love is the answer. And your faith is worthless if it doesn't have love behind it. So I brought guests so that you can't blame me for the guilt that you feel at the end of the sermon today. So I'm going to have my wife, Carrie, come up. Give her a hand. Carrie runs. You have to turn that on. Carrie leads what we call Newcom XP here. The Newcom Experience is our mission ministry, our outreach ministry. And Carrie does an incredible job. She has a deep passion uh, for getting people engaged and mobilized to serve outwardly, to not just be the church on Sunday mornings, but because she's been around church on Sunday mornings for years, and she actually gets a little tired of listening to me, and to help people engage. And, and specifically, that is partly our partnership with Ethiopia. So I'm going to let Carrie talk to you about that. And I did plug your notes in, but they're not here. So you're going to have to wing it. Oh, <laughs> because I love being in front of people, and I have no notes, so that's lovely. Well, um... <laughs> So I was going to give a little backstory, um, just so you know where I come from and my heart for missions. Um, I had the opportunity when I was 16 to drive to Mexico. Yes, we drove. It took us two and a half days. And um, honest to goodness, like, I was 16, and I thought, hey, I've never been out of the country, and I have taken some Spanish classes, so what better way to go and practice my Spanish? I had a really good heart behind it, right? But um, in God's grace and his love... um, like, he taught me through that, and um, it was an incredible experience. It was truly life-changing. I, I really honestly believe that had it not been for that opportunity, I don't know if I'd be here because I was very much a follower in my life, and um, it's hard to tell where I would have followed somebody. And so um, while we were there, um, one of the things that really stuck out with, uh, to me was um, that we spent some time in an orphanage, and... Um, That was just very eye-opening, seeing all these children um, there with no parents and um, seeing the joy that they had. Um, I was able to hang out with a little baby boy named Joey who was 10 days old, and um, I spent a lot of time holding him. And then there was another girl. Oh, yeah, look at that. (laughs) Looks so young. I look exactly the same. (laughs) Awesome. Um, And then also while we were there, um, there was a little girl who um, I feel like I remember her not having legs, um, but I do know that she had been thrown out of a moving vehicle because she was no longer wanted. And um, I remember her always saying, soy fuerte, soy fuerte, which is I'm strong. And she had a big smile on her face, and that's all she would say to us. And Um, it was just incredible seeing her be so strong and joyful in such a traumatic situation. And so, anyway, I say all that because that has stuck with me. And I've been on several mission trips, and most recently, um, and we were going back to Ethiopia. Um, That is something that I have just a huge heart for. Um, As some of you may know, we sponsor 92 um, vulnerable children there, and um, we actually currently need 
sponsorship for five? Four. Four of them. Um, sometimes people just aren't able to continue their sponsorship for whatever reason. And so if that's something that you are interested in, I would love to talk to you about it. Justin would love to talk to you about it. People who have been on our team um, with us would love to talk to you about that. Um, so that's something that we definitely would love to do is to get those children sponsored. And in this, in this community of Ethiopia, when we say sponsored, here's what we mean. We work with an organization called Hope Chest, Children's Hope Chest. You can look it up, hopechest.org. If, if you're new, we don't want to assume that everybody kind of knows because we do talk about this a lot. Um, these 92 kids are either currently living as orphans or they are highly vulnerable, which means that they have probably lost a parent. Both parents are living with extended family uh, most often. So Ethiopia has about 96 million people in their population. 13% um, of the population is children. And about four and a half million of their children, now, now grab onto this, four and a half million of their children are orphaned or vulnerable right now in one country. And that's, that's because of HIV and AIDS, right? So what we have done is stepped in as a church to partner with one village, one community, one kind of nonprofit. What Hope Chest does is they work across the countries to find nonprofits that already exist and say, how can we partner with them to, to, to create resources, to help resources go forward? So when we sponsor these kids, when you guys sign up and sponsor, and I've got these four kids here, I would love it if somebody just interrupted me and came and grabbed them and said, they're ours, we're going to take them and sponsor them. It's about $45 a month. They've, they've upped their costs a little bit, um, and that may be why we lost some sponsors. That tends to happen. But you're helping create medical care for, for these kids, uh, you're giving ongoing social work. You're giving some discipleship opportunities. There's, there's ongoing resources being created that are relational in nature and really have the power to transform these communities that we'll talk about more in, in just a second. And so that's one way to get involved. Um, the other one, which is a little more scary, is to join us this summer on a mission trip. Um, we're going back. This will be our fourth time. I believe we've had a partnership with um, Hope Chest since 2014. We took our first trip in 2015. Um, and we love to bring new faces because new faces can connect with new children. There's, you know, if only 10 of us go and there's 92 kids, it's, it's a lot of kids and we can't connect with all of them. And then you are able to share those stories um, that we may have missed. And I'm telling you, there's just so many powerful stories. It's just such a life-changing experience. And I realize it's a big trip. It's a, it's a very long flight. The food is... is um, very wonderful. different. Wonderful. <laughs> it's very different. Some of it is very <laughs> wonderful. That is true. Some of it really is. But it's it's not an easy trip. And um, I know it's not for everybody. And we need people here praying for us and, and donating and that sort of thing. And you can be involved in that way. But I really would encourage you to, if it's just a little bit on your heart, to um, really think about it and, and maybe take that leap. Um, I don't remember what else was. Oh my goodness, no! We have some, <laughs> we have some really exciting news um, to share about that, and that was where I was going to deflect to you. So deflect, well deflect. done. Um, <laughs> this is like marriage counseling. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So many of you remember. I think it was two Christmases ago. Every Christmas we do a Hope Sunday, and many of you know. Uh, Hope Sunday is where we don't just take the one offering. We go for all the money, so we take a second offering. And that second offering goes directly towards outreach, towards mission. And we will, we will be doing that probably December 9th or 16th. We'll, we'll be getting information out about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but a couple of years ago, we were really going after a, a big goal of $30,000. And the $30,000 was to begin 
a capital project with our partnership. So the way that Hope Chess works, you, you don't just do sponsorship to help them survive, you actually raise funds to, to help them thrive. And, and the goal is that in 10, 12 years, they wouldn't even need us, that their community would say, you have helped us, we are on our own, which, by the way, is a really healthy model of community development. That's how community development should work. And when we were raising this money, a couple Christmases ago, you guys came together and we were blown away. We, we solidified the money to do this water project. And what happened is that almost immediately after that, the Ethiopian government said, We've got all these problems with, with these NGOs, non-government organizations, which are like our nonprofits. And they said, we're going to put, put a halt on all this and hope just you guys got to wait. We don't even know what's going to happen in the future. So we had $30,000 sitting in a bank in Colorado waiting. And uh, basically, the government of Ethiopia was saying, uh-uh, not yet. And so this has been about a year and a half long process. And I don't know that anybody has seen this, but if you go and research Ethiopia, they just got a new prime minister who is incredible, by the way, who has a heart to work well with these organizations. And so Hope Chest is in a better position in Ethiopia than they've been in years. Uh, I had a call this week, and here, here's what has happened. They have actually gotten better communication with the government than they've had in a long time. The government has helped Abenezer, which is our care point, understand, because they're the nonprofit, that part of what they did, the government gave them land to run this nonprofit. I know this is complex, so this is why you deflected. Hang with me. Um, the government granted this land and said, as part of our agreement with you, the first thing you do on this land is build a school. And so we, we have been in conversation to say, well, we talked about a water project. What's most needed? And they said, the school is most needed. The money will open the school because we really need that to happen for us to even keep going with this land. So this week, I had a call on Wednesday with our partnership coordinator, and he called me back on Friday and said, I had a call with the country director. He said, in the next month or two, the money will be wired, and construction will start on a school immediately. Church, you did that. So I want you to see, this is going to be hard to see, but I want you to see these pictures. This is the design of the school, and if you look at the next one, go ahead to the next slide. I believe, if I'm factoring correctly, that's 168 students in that school, in those classrooms. So we need you to go. So, so let me just tell you what this has done. I know some of you are like, water project, they need clean water. And of course they do. And I'm sure we're going to be moving and talking more about that in the future. But we have 92 kids sponsored now. This almost doubles the amount of kids that they are going to get to interact with every single day. And New Community Church in Buchanan, West Virginia, did that. So thank you. We are just, I want you to understand, and our hope is, you know, and, and understand this is long and tedious, and I've been dying to share good news with you about this for two years, but I want you to understand we're hoping that by this summer there's going to be construction going, there's going to be things happening, and I'm telling you, you need to go. Some of you actually need to step up and go. Some of you need to come sponsor these four kids. Some of you just need to begin to pray and say, God, wreck my heart for this country, so... That's, that's all I have. Well done. Well done, new community. Give yourselves a hand and thank God for what he's done. Thank you. Yeah. So thanks, Carrie. You're good. <laughs> and then every time we have that conversation, every year that we uh, talk about um, raising money for an international trip, without fail, some of our folks on the team get the question, well, why don't you do something locally? So we are. And, and I always respond, ask them, why don't they do something locally? And, and 
that's the cynical pastor in me. But I, I don't, I don't want to miss the point that we are in a state that has an incredible amount of vulnerable children as well. And, and I think in our, in our church, we have about 30 to 35 education professional, professionals in our church, teachers, uh, administrators, staff, all, all that. And there is undoubtedly, some of you are doing this, you're living this in your family, your extended family, there's a crisis, right? There's a crisis when it comes to the kids in our state. And I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Um, our state population is about 1,844,000. Children under 18, there's about 379,000 of them. So, so understand this. The poverty rate in West Virginia is sitting right at about 18%, okay? Funny thing when you start checking poverty rates. There's a line where they say, here's poverty, and then if you make one cent more, it's not poverty. So... Just let, let that kind of sit in. Under 18, under 18-year-olds, 18 25% live in poverty. That's a quarter of those under 18. Five to 17-year-olds, about 23%. And then under five, 30% are living in poverty under the age of five. Here, here's what I found out. In 2015, 37,600 referrals for child abuse were made. That's 10% of the total population of kids in our state. One in 10 were referred for child abuse. We are, right now, the third oldest state in the nation. So we're an aging population. We're 43rd for high school diploma attainment, 50th in the U.S. for college degree attainment, second lowest life expectancy in the U.S., 48th in per capita income, 49th in median household income, and the lowest in the U.S. for labor force participation. So here, here's what I want to say to you. I don't... I don't, and I love you all, but I don't care about your politics. I really truly don't because that doesn't matter when it comes to these numbers. There's a real crisis that we have to step up to. And if the church doesn't step up to, we have failed to live the gospel. We have failed to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And corporately, we are sinning if we don't respond. I'm going to say that that strongly. So there are risk factors. I want you to understand this, this is West Virginia, right? Smoking, tobacco, obesity. We're all number one in the U.S., Severe mental illness, prescriptions for controlled substances, drug-induced deaths. We're all number one in the U.S. Overall mortality rate, cancer, chronic lower respiratory disease, diabetes, stroke, drug overdose. We are all leading the way as West Virginia. And that feels really hopeless, right? There are two great books I would recommend that every one of you read. One is called Dreamland. It's a little bit academic. It's a little bit hard. The other one is a lot easier. It's called Hillbilly Elegy. If you haven't read these books, you need to go and read them. You need to understand the culture. Part of loving our community, right? We say love God, love the community, strengthen families. Part of loving your community, we need to know our community. And if you live in a house in a comfortable neighborhood, God bless you, but you better start understanding your community. That's what the gospel calls us to. So here's what I did. I reached out to somebody that's in the foster care work this week and said, tell me about this. She wrote me back page after page after page. And I think she was just excited somebody finally asked. I felt guilty for, for not asking sooner. Officially, there are 6,700 children in the foster care system in West Virginia right now. Unofficially, that number sits at about 7,200. Here's, here's what I want to say to you, and I'm not, it's not political. We were up in arms when 2,500 children were sitting at our border being displaced, okay? And I think we should be. Uh, but we have 7,200 in our state who are displaced. And many of us don't care. Many of us have not responded, have not talked about that. There are 800 kids, she shared with me, 
placed in out-of-state placements right now because there aren't enough willing families to foster these children. 800 right now. 84% of kids in foster care are there because one or both parents are addicted to drugs. Some of you have been deeply touched by this. You're living this right now. I, I understand that. 70% of youths who are in the juvenile justice system have spent time in the child welfare system. That's, that's kind of the track that they're on. One-third of homeless young adults were previously in foster care. And there's this incredibly high turnover rate among CPS workers. It's one of the hardest jobs out there right now. I, I, I was told that often if they can't find a place for kids on a Friday, these kids end up staying in the CPS worker's office. So these places are now keeping air mattresses and bed clothing and clothes so that these kids have a place to go for the weekend because there's such a lack of foster care. And we all know, the fo listen, I am not in denial that the foster care system works, but we're all just not stepping up. It's a broken system like most government systems. But what are we doing? <laughs> we have to do something. There are myths that are out there. You don't have to be married to be a foster parent. You are able to work full time. There are eight agencies in our county right now working with foster care, and, and, and there are very little costs actually involved. We can help you with that. So I, I say all that to raise awareness, yes, to kind of tug at your heartstrings, yes, to, to make you understand there's a real crisis in our state, but also to say to you again, we don't have to do everything, but we have to do something. When we started this church, we started an organization called Appalachian Impact, right? Appalachian Impact is the nonprofit arm of new community. Um, we have had incredible leadership, I think, over the years. Sarah Campbell did a great job. Sarah stepped out about a year and a half ago and said, I need to, to kind of just pull back. Sarah had taken Appalachian Impact to a place where it was doing some really great stuff. Jamie, I'm glad you're here today. Jamie was a part of Appalachian Impact for a long time. And, and, and for probably the past year, we've been without a director and trying to figure out what do we do moving forward. If you don't know Appalachian Impact, Appalachian Impact is committed to building hope for at-risk students. And we do that through one-to-one -one mentoring. We do that through uh, leadership cohorts where we work with students. I've got a group of seventh graders, uh, me and Keisha Henderson and a couple teachers at the middle school. We love it. And I had them since seventh grade. We're gonna be with them till they graduate as long as they keep inviting us back. I love it. I love it. And those kids are crazy and they don't pay attention. And I just want them to care. And it's a headache. But I love it. It's great. And I'm telling you, we do that. And then we have summer camps where we teach literacy and creative arts. So the board of Appalachian Impact has been praying, has been seeking, has been looking for a new director. And this past, uh, probably two weeks ago, we solidified a new director of Appalachian Impact that I'm going to invite up, Miss Shauna Mason. Would you welcome Shauna? So welcome. Shauna is fresh off a trip to Disney. And I said, will you speak Sunday? And she said, of course. I wanted no to speak in all Disney songs. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. I went beyond that. I did ask her if she rode uh, It's a Small World, and she said twice. And so trying not to judge that. But <laughs> Shauna, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and why Orphan Sunday matters to you? Well, as Justin said, my name is Shauna. Uh, I am a graduate of West Virginia Wesleyan. 2011, and I've been teaching in Upshur County for nearly six years. Uh, I've been in third grade, and I'm now in kindergarten, which, oh my gosh, Carrie knows. It's the best. It really is, because you get to love on them, and they love right back, and oh, man, <laughs> they're awesome. Um, be, before I attended Westland, and before I graduated from high school, 
Um, and even before I landed with my family that found me when I was 14 years old, I met all of the standards that um, would describe a vulnerable child. Um, and when Justin asked me to speak, he asked me to talk about uh, Orphan Sunday, obviously. So I looked up the definition of or- orphan. I'm a dork. <laughs> I just am. So I looked it up, and uh, the definition said, any child who, whose parents are dead. And I, I thought about that and um, realized that I think that that definition should be altered some because I think that an orphan or a vulnerable child is possibly any child whose relationship with parent-child has been abandoned. And that's so many people. That's not just me. That's not just the children in my classroom. Um, That could be any individual in this room. And unfortunately, it's many of us. So I was born to two very young teenagers um, that had no idea what they were doing. (laughs) And that is the case for the cycle that our state is in of young people becoming parents, not knowing how to be parents, reaching out to other things to fulfill themselves because they don't know how to be filled as being parents. Um, They turn to drugs. They turn to abuse. They turn that on me. I lived with that um, until I was six. And then I was no longer with my birth mother. So that was the first uh, abandoned relationship that I believe puts me in the category of orphan, a vulnerable child. And then I lived with my birth father until I was 14. And in that role, I became parent to my siblings. I parent, co-parented with my father. So that kind of severed the parent-child relationship. Um, and with that, I, I also suffered some physical and emotional and sexual abuse. Um, but I know I'm not alone in that. Um, so that leads me to... Orphan Sunday, <laughs> in that I am, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> thank you, I am, I am broken hearted for myself, and I am broken hearted for all of those children in this community and in this state. And it's time for me to run to the brokenness, to run into what's breaking my heart, because I believe that's where I'll find a purpose in what I have been dealt with in my life. Incredible. Thank you. So I hope you hear personal story and, I'm assuming, practical response. I hope you understand that this is real. This is, this is the testimony of God's work in somebody's life. And, and Carrie had an experience in Mexico, and Shauna has lived an experience that now is causing response because of faith in Christ. And I think Shauna is going to take Appalachian Impact to a new level. So don't overwhelm her, but here's what I would say. We are giving you options if you are willing, do you have, how many of you get a lunch break every week? Like you get a lunch break. You're able to eat lunch. Some of you, three of you, I don't believe it. I've seen you. Okay. So here's my point. If you get a lunch break, you could fast one day 
You get closer to Jesus and you could go mentor a child, right? That's all it takes, literally to be a mentor. That's what we're asking for. And I cannot tell you, men, I'm gonna call you out. I cannot tell you how many times I get calls during the week asking, do you have anybody that'll come mentor? Do you have any guys that'll come mentor? I know we're busy. And you say, well, I don't get a lunch break. That doesn't let you off the hook. If you get a day where you can come at 4.30, we can set something up. We will work with you to make mentoring a reality. Some of you have a higher capacity that you would say, I could give an hour a week. I could give something like that. You could be a cohort leader. I'm telling you, I cannot wait to root on these eight kids that I have every week and watch them walk down and graduate someday. I can't wait. I don't know if they're all going to make it. They have me a little skeptical, right? (laughs) But I can't wait. And then some of you college students, if you're looking for something to fill your summer with, I know you got to go make money. I know you got to do all that. We don't pay well, but we pay a little bit and you have time to go get a job. Come work summer staff for our camps. We need you. We need this. We need people to step up. That's Appalachian Impact. If you are pulled towards international stuff, Ethiopia, right? You want to go on the trip. You're scared so bad and you think it's Africa and there's tigers and lions and all that stuff, and, and people are like, there's terrorists, and I'm like, yeah, they live in New York City, too, and West Virginia. Like, people tell me, there's crazy people that are like, that, that's happening. Take a risk. God may be calling you to step into this. You say, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's just sponsoring a child. Great. Do something. Children's Home Society, who is who we're working with to adopt our child uh, internationally from Africa. Children's Home Society, I reached out to them this week. They said they have a visitation room for parents right now who are trying to work towards reconciliation with their kids, their visitation room has absolutely no toys in it. So think about this. You got kids coming in, in an already tough situation. Parents are trying to reconnect. There's no toys. So go ahead and put that slide up, Mitch. This is an Amazon wish list. I will email this out today or tomorrow as well to all you that are on the email. If you're not, fill out a connection card. We'll get you plugged in. This is their wish list. You can buy some toys. I think it would be really cool if New Community said, we'll fill your visitation room. We'll take care of this. Do something. That's what I'm saying to you. Do something. Step up and be obedient to the things that God has called us to do. And I'll end with this. Thank you so much. The, you, can, you can stay. Maybe Would you pray for us in just a minute? If you, <laughs> you can delegate to Carrie if you want. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have prepped. <laughs> you gave me two questions. Yeah. Here's what the social worker said to me this week. And she said, I would love to encourage your church with this. She said, I'd love to be there, but I can't be there. If you cannot adopt, and by the way, some of you can. Some of you can. If you cannot adopt, foster. If you cannot foster, donate. If you cannot donate, volunteer, mentor. If you cannot volunteer, advocate. And if you cannot advocate, educate. She said it costs nothing to educate one another on this epidemic. And guys, that's, that's who we got to be as the church. You don't have to do everything, but we got to do something. We got to do something. Would you pray for us? And I'm going to have the band come and lead us in the, the final song. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Lord, thank you for humbling me in this position just now. I appreciate that. Maybe it'll be an example. Thank you for bringing us together. Uh, Thank you for the words that Justin shared with us, the challenges that he has presented to us. Uh, Thank you for Carrie's heart um, and the experience she was able to bring to us to shed light on that. Uh, 
again, thank you for the honor of putting me in this position with Appalachian Impact um, and those that that have also have the opportunity to serve this community, uh, to run into the brokenness, to find our purpose, to run toward what is scaring those five to 18 year olds that need guidance and that need love beyond what they can see. Uh, let us be the hope that they need. Let us continue to be the hope for those children in Ethiopia that are looking toward a school where they can be educated. Help those people who are feeling called to go to Ethiopia to lean into that and embrace what it is you might be offering to them through that. Thank you for all of those that are probably sitting out there wondering what it is that they can do next because I have a feeling that people are going to start stepping up. So thank you for that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.